0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. Let's go into our word. Now, as you know, we have been walking through this series called Love Walked Among Us, right? And what we've been doing is just... just Really slowing down and looking at how Jesus loved, and I'm telling you, this whole process has been something that the Lord has just been doing a work inside of my own heart. Amen. Just looking at Jesus, just this, just, just just looking at how He loved, yeah. right? And we're getting to the end of our series, right? Just a couple of more sermons, and and this series closes up, and we have been following. Jesus and, and, and we get to this point where we see following him, w- watching him walk out his love is, is leading him to this, this dark point, right. this point of pain, this point of trouble. We're, 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 we're following his love all the way to the cross, right. a point where, where in order to walk his love out, He is facing intense pain and intense pressure. I want to start with this quote from Paul Miller who wrote the book Love Walked Among Us. And it says, it's relatively easy to love when things are going the way we want. But when the pressure mounts, most of us forget about love and think only about ourselves. It's easy, it's easy when, 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 when there's nothing coming against us. When we talk about the pressure amounting, the, we're talking about when in order to walk out love, you are being directly affected. Yeah. You are being directly, you hurt in order to, to walk out love. You face pain directly. This is what he's talking about when I mean, he said when the pressure mounts and it hurts to continue to do this. Now, what most of us do during this time when when, when walking out love and when serving on, on, on somebody and we get to this point where in order to do this, I am facing pain. It is hurting. That's for the point where, where, where a lot of us start to think, well, 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 probably the Lord doesn't want me to do this. Right. I mean... There's no way the Lord will cause me to, to, to sacrifice like this if it's going to hurt me this way. There's no, there's, there's no way. It must be a sign that the Lord doesn't want me to do this, but that's not what we saw in Jesus. It's at this moment where we, we, we slow down and we stop and we examine love. You see... Love isn't this external attachment that you sort of just go out, get, and then paste on yeah. in order to accomplish a particular thing. Let me go get some of this love, and then I'll do this, and I'm going to take it off when I'm ready to. And start loving is something like you pick up and put off whenever you want to and stuff. This is, it's not an extra thing. It's, it's actually rooted in something deeper, rooted in something that's, that's greater than you. That's greater than you. Like like a a tree is rooted in the ground, and the ground is bigger than the tree, and, and that's where it finds itself rooted in. Hallelujah. We're walking through this text, and Jesus is entering into his season of passion, of suffering. And it's leading him to the cross, and, and, and the pressure is mounting against him. Literally, everything is, 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 is going against him, and it's hurting, but he still loves. He still pushes on. He's holding on, and we want to examine that today. So what I want to do is, we want to look at Jesus And today I want to look at his journey to the cross, right? But I want to do what I want to do is is look at it through the lenses of his disciples, right? So we're going to look at a few verses, sort of just catching different perspectives, sort of like snapshots of of Jesus on the way to the cross. Because as we've been walking through this and this following Jesus along the road, along the the pathway of love, we get to this moment where everything is is coming to a head. But but what I want to do is I want to look at all the different disciples who are seeing how love is responding under pressure. How they see their, their, their teacher respond when everything hits the fan, how the teacher responds when, when, when he is literally being hurt in order to walk out love. And, and they all they write the gospels, and as they write the gospels, they're writing it afterwards. And they're the things that stick into their minds. I want, I want, I want to go there with them today. So we're gonna we're gonna look at Some of the disciples' reflections on how Jesus loved on the way to the cross. What did it look like when the pressure amounted? So if you'll just bear with me, we're just gonna we're gonna just jump around and sort of just capture different snapshots, thinking about how they are reflecting on it. The first thing I want to go to is John chapter 13, verses 1. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John is writing this and and he's thinking about about the love of Jesus and the thing that comes to his mind as as he is reminiscing and he's writing things down. he, he, He starts to think about how love is faithful. It doesn't bail out when things get too hot. It doesn't quit. It's consistent. He said he loved them to the end. Even them, he's talking about himself. He's one of those. John remembers this and he writes it down. I think about Luke. Luke, he's remembering and reflecting on Jesus' response to Judas when Judas came to betray him with a a pack of people. So in Luke 22, verses 47 to 48, Luke records, he says, while he was still speaking, Jesus was talking to them. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew them near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man? With a kiss. Lucas, Lucas is, is is thinking about this. You see, a kiss was a, a, a general sign of respect. A general sign of respect. That and 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 honor and, and Luke is recalling the hurt that the vulnerability of, of of love opens you up to as as Jesus is questioned, like, like Judas, really. The way that you betray me is with an open show of respect, and it's only because of vulnerability that he's at this place. It's only because of love that he's here, where well, this is the way that he will get betrayed. After that, the the Jewish officers they come out and and they started to come come at them and and, and John John remembers Jesus standing in between. Them and the the offices, Jesus jumping out. So in John 18, verses 4 through 9, it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, he knew what was going to happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Just thinking about, like, it says that he stepped out and, and, in front of everything that's going on. And he asked, who are you looking for? And he said, I am he. And it said that when he said this, they, they drew back and they fell to the ground. You see, the mere power of his words caused them to just fall to the ground. And it just made me think about, like, Paul, the same thing happens with him on the road to Damascus. And Jesus appears to Paul, the risen Jesus. He he appears in the light and, and he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then Paul and everybody that was with them all again fell to the ground. You see, it's love that his words only caused them to stumble and fall to the ground you see because it's his word that that that, that calmed the seas it's his word that that caused storms to stop it was his word that that called people back to life it was his word that that, that created planets and stars for so for them to just fall to the ground was an act of grace and, and, and love And he says, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. I was reading a book about sheep and, sh- and shepherds, the life of shepherds and their sheep. And one of the things it said inside the book was, the way how shepherds would act is they would put themselves in between the sheep and the predator. They will put themselves right in between. If someone gets hurt, the shepherd is going to get hurt so that, that, that the sheep are freed up. You see, what John is thinking about here is he saw love, valued them so much that Jesus would put himself on the line so that they would go free. He didn't want nobody to get confused. You're looking for Jesus. It's me. I don't want you to get confused. I don't want them to get hurt. Let them go. John remembers it. He remembers his teachers standing up and just making sure there was no confusing and and just lobbying for their freedom. Let them go. I will come willingly. But then he goes on to talk about why Jesus did that. But then the 9, it says, this was to fulfill the word that had been spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost, not one Right here, even in that, John is, is, is connecting back to something else because if you remember when we was talking about when Jesus fed the 5,000 with the, with the fish and, and, and the loaves of bread, he was talking to the multitude. And when he was talking to the multitude, he told the multitude that, that, that his Father has given him people, and of those that the Father has given to him, he will not lose any of them. And John is connecting this. He said, oh, this is about that. He says he will lose none of those the Father had given to him. And John remembers the extent that love would go through to keep its word. Wow. Oh, he did this to fulfill his word. Well, then they, they converge and they take him by force. By force. And as they, they, they grab him, Matthew, Matthew, he remembers, and he writes down how how Peter tried to stop them. And the love of Jesus stopped Peter. Matthew 26, 51 through 54, it says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his hair. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Then he says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so. You see, Matthew remembers Jesus restraining his power to fulfill love. And, 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 and what he says to Peter, points Peter and the disciple to something that's greater that we're going we're to get into in a minute. While all this is going on and as it continues to, to go, Luke remembers a very important question that Jesus asks the Jewish officers, as he confronts them. In Luke 22, verses 52 to 53, he says, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. See, out of love, he is confronting their hearts, and he's confronting their hearts at levels that they don't even realize yet. Yeah. They don't even realize it. And the officers, they take them, and, and they attack them, and they abuse them. And, and then all these things happen along the way, and in the middle of the night, and it eventually ends up with him in front of Pilate. Now, as he gets in front of Pilate, Luke, is, he's writing down. And he remembers when they finally get to Pilate that they make a very unique claim to get the response that they wanted from Pilate. In Luke 23 and 2, it says, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. You see, Pilate represents the Roman government. And they, they made everything about a political agenda. I wanted to, to point this thing out because political idolatry stretches far back. It's not brand new right now. Even at that time, the, you look at the things that they highlighted. They highlighted the nation. They highlighted tax dollars. And then Caesar was seen as a king, so Jesus was a threat to who was sitting in the office. Everything went political all of a sudden. Why? Because they knew that... Political ideology is a way to try to control people, and they leveraged it. It stretches back far. Then he's in front of Pilate. His is a conversation that happens that we're going to linger on today. So it's John 18, verses 33 to 40. So if you'll stand with me, I want to read that. This is what we're going to linger at, because what they talk about, It's extremely important. John 18, verses 33 to 40. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or... Did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of God. You may be that We've been following the life of Jesus, studying him. Reflecting on how he loves. And as we've been following him, as we've been studying him, and just looking how he loved in the mundane, and how he loved in the big moments, this this journey has led us to this time and place of trouble. Everything is coming to a head. Jesus' life is on the line. Everything is coming to to a head, and he's at this place of a tense Trouble. I want to make a comment about trouble. You see, there's there's, there's three forms of trouble. First, you have trouble that comes at you. Trouble that comes at you. Just, Just live long enough. You'll experience it. Trouble that just comes at you. Like, I didn't do nothing to get this trouble, but it comes at me. That trouble is called suffering. You merely have to be a human to go through that. No no special things just exist, and trouble will come at you. Warring with that kind of trouble, then there's a different kind of trouble. There's a trouble that's inside of you. A trouble that's inside of you, whatever is like a war that is going on, a war that is raging on the inside of you, and you find yourself immensely fighting. Now, that's a good thing when you find yourself immensely fighting this trouble that's going on on the inside of you. It's a good thing that you actually realize that there's trouble there, and 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 and, and when this is happening, yeah, you're going through this fight and you're you're waging war. That's because it's leading to repentance, and for that, you have to be a believer. For true repentance, you have to be able to submit it to Jesus. For that, you need to be a believer. But there's a different kind of trouble. A trouble that causes people to, to, to laugh at believers. You see... It's when you go towards trouble. Now, that's a different thing right there. It's like, why would he even go that route? It's obvious trouble is over there. But it's when you go towards trouble for the sake of others. Now, that's called love. That kind of trouble goes, love, I know it's going to hurt me. I know it's going to lead to pain. I know it's going to prick me, and I'm going that direction for them. Yeah. That's called love, and for that you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit Come on. to guide you and lead you through it. Because it'll, you'll get exposed quick, fast, if it's not the Holy Spirit leading you in it. Right. Huh. This is what Jesus finds himself at. This is love. Love has led him to trouble. And now he's standing in front of Pilate. Pilate is a symbol of, of, of worldly power, Roman government authority, and his life is on the line. And they have a really interesting conversation. Let's dive into that conversation a little bit closely. In 18, 36 to 38, Pilate had just asked Jesus, are are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who was of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? But notice, notice Jesus doesn't directly say, yes, I am the king of the Jews. Notice he doesn't do that because, because that by itself will be a truncated truth. A truncated truth is almost a lie. And the reason why it's almost a lie, because it doesn't tell the full story that gives context, you see. If he just said, yes, I'm the king of the Jews, it would imply he's only the king of the Jews. And and, and Pilate is already acting funny. He's like, what, am am I a Jew? I don't even care about this. I just want to get your answer. The answer is yes, he is the king of the Jews. But the reason why he's the king of the Jews is because he is the king of all creation itself. Yes. Yes. Jesus knows this. So instead of saying yes, I'm the king of the Jews, he just starts talking about his kingdom. And when he does it, he makes a distinction about it. He only says it's not of or from this world. He doesn't give boundary lines to it. He doesn't identify a certain people group. He just clarifies his kingdom isn't a byproduct of the systematic idolatry of culture, a.k.a. the world. I want you to understand this. He's not trying to distance himself from the planet. That's not what's happening here. He's not trying to distance himself from the planet. It says, "Thy will be done, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom stretches to heaven and earth. He's not trying to distance himself, but he's making a point. I want you to follow the line of reasoning here. In 36, he says, follow me. If my kingdom was of, of this world, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered to the, to the Jews. If my kingdom was of this system of idolatry called the world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. You see, sometimes we don't get it because we, we, we take this in an otherworldly sense. When he's saying my servants, he's literally talking about his disciples, those that were with them when everybody converged. He's saying they would have responded trying to utilize tactics and strategies formed of or from the systematic idolatry of culture, a.k.a. they would have responded like the world. And he's saying that's not how his servants respond because His kingdom is not of this world, which which gives context to when Peter tried to do exactly that. Peter pulled out his sword and tried to fight so Jesus would not be delivered over to the Jews to the extent of almost killing another image bearer. And Jesus stops him. And when he stops him, he points him to a greater reality of truth. A greater reality of truth. Listen, if I wanted to, my father would send over twelve legions of angels to to come and fight so that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. But 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 my kingdom is not of the of this world, so I'm not going to employ worldly tactics. Yeah. You see, the world employs the systems of this world to fight for worldly kingdoms, but Jesus pointed Peter and the disciples to a greater. Reality of truth. And this is the heart of the conversation that he's having with Pilate. He's having a conversation of truth. So in 37, he goes on. And you see here, it says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I I was born, and for this purpose I have come to this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? In response, Jesus is talks to him about the kingdom of God and said, I came to bear witness to the truth. You see, truth is the reality of the kingdom of God. Truth is the reality of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, things are as they truly are. In the kingdom of God, he said, I came to bear witness to the truth. In John 14 and 6, Jesus describes himself as the truth. Jesus is not just king, but he's God. Thus, the reality of the kingdom of God reflects Jesus, who is the truth. So when he says, I came to bear witness of the truth, And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What he's saying is, I came to bear witness of of me and my kingdom. And everyone who is mine and thus of my kingdom listens to my voice. I want you to get this here and see what's what's happening here. As he says, I came to bear witness of this. You see, Jesus came into this world, and he was healing people. And the reason why he was healing people is because he wanted to bear witness of the truth. What? Which is the reality of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you are healed. I want to bear witness of that by healing you. He came, and, and he was noticing the unnoticed, seeing the unseen, because in the kingdom of God, you are noticed. In the kingdom of God, you are saying this is the truth, and he wanted to bear witness to it. He came, and he was slowing down because as he was slow down, it would give him an opportunity to bear witness to the truth so that he could reflect the kingdom of God. He came taking the low road to bear witness to the truth, which is the reality of the kingdom of God. He allowed his schedule to be interrupted To give him an opportunity to bear witness to the truth, which is the reality of the kingdom of God. He pointed to covenant and communion because this is the reality of the kingdom of God. This is the truth, even if it means putting himself in harm's way. He came to bear witness of the truth. Hallelujah. You see... Truth is the reality of the kingdom of God, and love is living into that reality. Here's the true reality. You are my brother. Love is actually living into that. Not talking about it. Actually living into that. All right, it may hurt me along the way, but the true reality of things is we're brothers. And I'm living into it. That's love. Truth is saying, listen, you're in this situation. Here's what I got. It may hurt me, but you are in need right now. That's love. The true reality of the kingdom of God is I got your back and you got mine. The true reality of the kingdom of God is what God has called us to display. True love is rooted in the kingdom of God because it emanates from its King." It's a kingdom of love because, as stated in 1 John 4 and 8, God is love. This kingdom of love is the true essence of existence. True. When I say true, I mean, I don't don't mean the brokenness and the pain is fake and it ain't real. The brokenness and the pain is real, but it'll pass away. It'll pass away. When I say true, I mean the eternal reality of all things. Other things will fade away. They will all will. His word will remain the true reality of the kingdom of God. Love is how we live into that. Love is how we display that. Love is how we reflect that. This is the truth, and the world gets a chance to see the truth, but how we love. It's important to get this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Jesus compares and draws distinction between his kingdom and this world because this world is reflecting and offering up a distortion of truth. It's bearing witness to a lie. And Jesus said, I came to bear witness to the truth. But here's the thing. He continues to bear witness to the truth through us, through how we love, through how we follow him. You see, When we love like the king, Jesus, we live into and reveal the truth of his kingdom. Follow me on this. We reveal it. The truth of his kingdom gets revealed by how we love. The systems of this world has it masked But the truth gets revealed by how we love. You get to see his kingdom. We bear witness to truth through love. But that being said, when we refuse to love like Jesus, what's really happening is a rejection of our king's love and a refusal to reveal his kingdom through that display of love. We're refusing to to reveal the, the, the truth that we have been entrusted with. And we think we're just maintaining a position of neutrality. But it's really an exchange that's happening. You look at Romans 1, verses 18 through 25, Paul is talking and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God, for a lie. You see, choosing to do nothing is still a choice that communicates a lie about the kingdom of God. It allows the lie to be there. It allows the lie to breathe and to exist and to tell its narrative. There is a fundamental rejection of the true reality of the kingdom of God when we refuse to live into that truth by loving others. Yeah. Then on the flip side, there is a fundamental rejection of the true reality of the kingdom of God when we refuse to receive the love of others living into that truth. You, have, you don't live into it, you're rejecting it. You Don't receive it, you're rejecting it. And every time we refuse the truth, we accept a lie in exchange. Jesus says to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It's not even whether or not the truth makes sense. They just know how his voice sounds and listen. They just know how. It's not about, oh, like, it all added up. It all, it, 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 it makes sense. It clicks to me. The math works. It's not that. It's, it's, wait, hold on. That sounds like his voice. Let me listen. Let me follow. Pilate is looking at the truth. He's talking to the truth. The truth is talking to him, but he doesn't hear the voice of truth, so he doesn't listen. And in rejection of truth, Pilate responds, what is truth? Turns and he walks away. You see, many of us are too busy trying to process whether or not truth makes sense. Instead of trying to process, does it sound like his voice? Does it sound familiar? We're not trying to process that. We're just trying to process, does it add up? Yeah, I want to help you. Does it add up? Not does it sounds like his voice. So we question what is truth? And the rejection, we refuse to walk in love, turn and walk away. But again, when we reject the truth of love, we accept a lie in its place. We allow a lie to to exist. Yeah. It's crazy because then we, we turn around and we're like, but I never said that. Or I never did this. But you, but you didn't say love, though. You didn't say It's not whether or not you didn't say this or you didn't say that. It's what did you say, though. And if you didn't say something and the lie is believed, it's because you didn't say something. You didn't do something. You didn't live into something. And the lie had an opportunity to breathe. In John 18, 37-40, Pilate said to him, and I know we're going here over and over again, he says, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. You see, a thief is someone who, who literally and purposefully walks in deceit. His occupation is lies. And, but this is what happened, this is what's accepted. And rejecting Jesus is the ultimate rejection of truth and love. The ultimate rejection. They literally rejected truth and accepted a lie in its place. Literally. And it brings back to, to, to mind again. Where, where where When the Jews came to catch him inside the, the garden and Jesus said to them, Why are you treating me like a robber? Later on, they would literally accept a robber in its place. You see... When we refuse to live into love, we, we reject truth. When we refuse to receive love, we reject truth. And that rejection of truth leads to destruction. It leads to a downfall of brokenness, of broken relationships, confusion, pain. It leads to a distortion of truth itself. The band can come up now. And we see this downward spiral of destruction and pain characterized in the moments after love is rejected and a lie is accepted as we watch Jesus head to the cross. All the pain and all the suffering that he would endure, all the lashes that he would endure, you see that captured. What I'm hoping is as we, as we get ready for communion today, I want us to think about the disciples that they're they're looking at the devastation when love is rejected. As they're looking at the devastation and they're following this devastation all the way to the cross. I want us to contemplate it. I want us to connect the devastation that happens when we reject love, when we refuse to live into love, the ripple effects, the things that we allow to live in its place. And we've been talking about love. We've been talking about loving like Jesus. And I want us to contemplate What loving like Jesus does, it, it displays the truth of his kingdom. But when we reject, when we refuse, something else happens instead. I want us to linger there for a moment. Even to the point of repentance, Lord, forgive us. Let it lead us to accept Jesus today. Let it lead us to accept his love. You see, accepting Jesus is accepting love and the truth of his kingdom. Let us accept it in such a way that we're choosing him or we're choosing his kingdom or we're choosing to be obedient as subjects of his kingdom. That we're choosing to walk in love. We're choosing to submit to the king of love. He let love lead him all the way to the cross. When he institutes communion, it's so that we will remember love, so that we will remember truth, that we will remember his kingdom, and that we will fellowship with him as he continues to walk. So the bread, it represents his body that was given in remembrance and The juice, it represents his blood that flows in remembrance. And when we drink of this juice and we eat of this bread, we we affirm the union. We affirm the fellowship. We affirm, Lord, we continue to walk with you as you continue to walk through us. That your kingdom might be displayed. The tables are open. Let's pray. Let's break bread. If you need prayer, we'll be over there.